The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guests illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, August 3rd, 2010. I'm Terry Ranga, joined by this week's returning co-host, Kristen Selby-Gonzalez, Director of Autism Education for Enzymedica. We're here with Judy Converse, a licensed registered dietitian specializing in pediatric nutrition for learning and developmentally disabled children. Her new book is Special Needs Kids Eat Right, Strategies to Help Kids on the Autism Spectrum Focus, Learn, and Thrive. And watch out for her upcoming book, Special Needs Kids Go Farm Free, that's P-H-A-R-M, Nutrition-Focused Tools to Help Minimize Meds and Maximize Health and Well-Being. Check out her website, www.nutritioncare.net. For those of you who listened in on the live interview with these lovely ladies on Tuesday, July 6th, or the archive when our topic was the straight poop, we'll pick up on reporting from the Situation Room on some related questions and more today addressing such topics as what are the most common problems parents encounter when using or transitioning to special diets, what are the secrets and shortcuts, how can you avoid psychotropic meds for a child with rage, aggression, or hyperactivity, and what nutritional tools work for seizure control. So please stay tuned. Welcome, ladies. Hi. Hi, Terry. Well, Judy and Kristen, let's just briefly go over this one flashback question for any listeners new to the show. What's a special diet? Why bother? And what great results have you seen in your clinical practice or family? Um, well, uh, gee, Terry, this is Judy here, and I guess a special diet, technically, it's any time you're not eating a regular diet, and a regular diet means you're just eating whatever, whatever. You don't have any restrictions at all. You don't avoid anything, and there are lots of different kinds of special diets for different purposes, and that's not new at all. They've been around for decades. Um, of course, in the autism community in the last 10 or 15 years, they've just exploded for kids who have allergies or problems digesting and absorbing food normally. So um, they have a therapeutic purpose, and they're, you know, it's using a diet as a therapy, basically. And Kristen? Well, you know, when I think of special diets, um, when we're talking about it in our community, I, I think the first thing we start thinking about are those trigger foods. And I know the first thing that comes to most of our, our minds is gluten and casein. And so... You know, I agree with Judy, um, but when we're talking about the autism community, um, I really think when we the very first thing uh, when we say special diets is that gluten-free, casein-free, trying to figure out, you know, that is the foundation, looking to see then what we can um, build on that and see what works and what doesn't work. 
Yeah, we hear over and over again that the first thing to do, the first line of defense is to heal the gut, heal the gut, heal mm -hmm. the gut. Judy, you have um, a nice clinical practice, and what kind of results have you seen over the years? Well, gosh, uh, I see great results, mm -hmm. and um, they're, you know, nutrition matters for children, and right now the general medical pediatric community is kind of talking out both sides of their mouths, out of one side that you might hear a lot of parents come in and tell me, oh, my pediatrician said don't bother, this doesn't work, there's no proof, and then out of the other side of the doctor's mouth, they'll tell the next parent with a typical child, nutrition's important, you <laughs> give your child a, a healthy diet. It doesn't make any sense. So they can't have it both ways. And of course, if you treat nutrition problems in a child, it doesn't matter if they have autism or purple polka dots, they're going to feel better. So um, I see all kinds of good results. I've actually never met a child on the spectrum who did not have a nutrition problem that was diagnosable, codable with an insurance code, and treatable. I think that the point is nobody's really looking except the parents and, uh, you know, a growing group of practitioners. Um, right now, the general pediatric community isn't really looking, and they've just been told not to look by a study published in pediatrics, which I, I rebutted, um, saying that there's really no reason to be concerned about these kids' food intakes. My experience totally disagrees with that. And um, yeah, absolutely. Kids will begin to function better, sleep, feel better, think more clearly, talk more, eat better, um, socialize better. I mean, all kinds of stuff starts to emerge. So it's, it's not a mystery at all that nutrition care matters for children. Judy, is that rebuttal posted on your website, www.nutritioncare.net? I did put it there. There's a blog there. It's up there. It's also on the pediatrics website. There's, um, I put it up there as a rebuttal, and they actually put it up in full, and it, um, which is great. And it is the second comment. I think there's a lengthy comment above it, and you may have to scroll. But if you go to pediatrics, and it's not Journal of Pediatrics, it's pediatrics, the study's title, um, I don't I could probably pull up the exact title while we're chatting, but it had the word food intakes, growth, and autism in it. And if you Google those words together, you'll get to it. Um, but there were, it was a, I have to say, I, I, not a good study. There were, I detail eight flaws in the methods that almost appear to be purposely used to obfuscate any findings that would be relevant. Uh, there, one, you know, there weren't any meaningful tools used in the study to bring out nutrition problems. It almost looks like they were not looking for them on purpose, if I could say it that way. And the sad piece is that all over the country, pediatricians who read that journal and will glance at the abstract and don't know about how diets are studied, what methods matter for studying food intakes, They'll read that and think, okay, my next patient with autism, I really don't have to, to do much inquiry into their diet. It's okay. It doesn't matter. That's, that's terribly wrong, and, and it matters a lot. So, yeah, great results can be had. Yeah, you, you know, um, with any child, and you alluded to this point previously, we'd want to make any child, whether they had 
uh, purple polka dots or autism are considered neurotypical, the best that they can be. And if pediatricians don't think that there's a gut-brain connection, why don't they just take all the kids out for a beer? <laughs> exactly. That's a great idea. That's Exactly. Why don't we just prove it, right, that it doesn't matter what they eat or drink. Um, in the uh, rebuttal I wrote, I referenced a quote from a mom. She had been written in a newspaper um, I think it was in, it may have been in Michigan. It's all referenced in there. Her child, as she said, only ate sand, wood, and rocks and a few pretzels. And to think that you don't need to investigate that is, is obviously preposterous. And that is also a really classic sign of pica. That's pica. That's when children eat stuff that's not food. And it's a very classic nutrition clinical sign for mineral imbalance and most likely heavy metal toxicity. So children with pica, children with autism have pica much more often than their typical peers. That's a huge piece. That piece alone needs to be investigated in nutrition assessment for these children. And to, to disregard that is a horrible tragedy. I mean, it will really change these kids' lives. Well, in addition to things like books and rocks, um, is there any connection between those children who we hear about who put fecal matter in their mouth and any yes. sort of imbalances? Yeah, I, that I think is another not very unusual pica behavior. And absolutely, it definitely signals mineral issues. All right. Well, Judy, when we go to try to remediate these things, what do we do and what are the most common problems that parents encounter when using or transitioning to special or therapeutic diets? Okay, well, when you want to remediate something like pica, the very first thing that even your pediatrician can do is run all the labs to investigate iron status because that usually first off will indicate an iron deficiency story. And because iron is also capable of being toxic like other metals, you can't just start giving it to a child yourself. You really have to have your pediatrician run Anyone can do this. It can be in your network. It doesn't have to be with a specialist in biomed. They can run all those blood work, all that blood work for you, and you can find out how much iron should your child take. Is there an iron storage problem? What are your child's iron reserves? You can see that, and that's very evidence-based medicine. Children who are deficient in iron will absorb more lead. They, those metals compete. So that's no kid should be walking around with anemia or a, a state just prior to anemia because they're going to absorb more toxic metals than the next kid. So that's number one. And then in transitioning to a special diet, I would say the biggest challenge, and I'd love to hear what Kristen thinks, I often hear parents say, oh, it will make my child too different, I don't want to, or he doesn't like the food, or um, it's too hard, I don't know how to cook. It's really all about the parent. <laughs> when you hear that stuff, and um, of course, the parent needs a lot of support and guidance. But, you know, I think that, and, and I do want to hear Kristen's take on this as well, I think parents get a lot of their attitudes from the laissez-faire at attitude of the medical community. So in regard to your comment about, you know, it'll make my child different, and um, no doctor whose patient or a parent whose child has cancer says, oh, I don't, I don't think I'll try, you know, any interventions because, you know, that'll, that might cure my child and that'll make my child too different. 
Absolutely. Kristen? Yeah, well, it's interesting because, I, you know, we talk to so many parents when we're lecturing, and that's the number one thing we hear is, you know, I can't do this. They're not going to be able to go to the birthday parties. They're not. The school won't, you know, um, be able to comply with this. And yet, the very first thing I say is when they tell me, my, or they'll say, my child won't eat that either. There's no way my kid's going to be able to eat that. I absolutely agree with them right off the bat. I say, you know what? You're telling me your child can't, 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 can't. Right off the bat, your child's not going to be able to because you're not already believing that your child can. So what we have to first do is look at the foundation of the beliefs of the parents of why they're thinking it's a bad thing or it's a sad thing versus thinking how exciting that these foods can actually help heal that gut because of that brain-gut connection. And as we look at that brain-gut connection, we can look at the behaviors where as if, let's say, a child's walking on their toes, that could be constipation. So as we start to educate the families, they can get really excited to think, gosh, diet can make a huge impact. So that's usually what we see is, first trying to get the parents educated and excited about what food can do for their child. Yeah, attitude, attitude, attitude. And since we need to go to break here in a few seconds, this would be a great time to remind people about a very positive person, Susan Delane, and her absolutely gorgeous cookbook, uh, the Autism Cookbook from Skyhorse Publishing, and also New Life Foods that are absolutely scrumptious and gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free. And we'll be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Judy Converse and Kristen Selby-Gonzalez. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. The show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. 
Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Judy Converse and Kristen Selby-Gonzalez, my co-host this week. Before the break, we were talking about attitude, but insofar as the actual mechanics and nuts and bolts, um, what are some of the specific problems that parents encounter when trying to transition to special diet? Kristen, did you have any specific problems? Oh, gosh, yes, because what's happening is, um, and we hear this from lots of other parents as well, is our children are typically eating um, what I call the um, the autistic diet around the world because it doesn't matter if it's in the U.K. and we've been there listening to families or anywhere in the States. It's, they're eating things like chicken nuggets, pizza, waffles, cookies, crackers, you know, milk. Um, and then you have the other ones that are eating, you know, 15 bananas and, you know, 20 apples a day. And it's basically anything that they, they have to have. And, you know, now all of a sudden you're trying to, uh, you know, give them something different and transition something different. And they're not used to that taste or that texture or that smell because, again, it's that, it, that these foods are giving them something. And, you know, we always say food is either medicine or poison to the child. So now we have to figure out creative ways, one, to get our child excited about eating something new. And the other thing is that attitude going back to, you know, now we're giving this gluten-free, you know, casein-free chicken nugget, but gosh, it does smell different. It does look different. It does taste a bit different. How, as parents, can we get really, really excited to introduce them um, to their diet? And I think... If we think of it as if our child had diabetes, and I've said this many times, so if you've heard me say this before, I'm sorry, but this is how I think of it. If our child had diabetes, we wouldn't think to give them sugar. And if our, di- if our child was allergic to peanuts, we would not think to give them peanuts. And I think it's that same kind of concept when we're introducing something new. I think, again, getting excited that these foods are, are tasting better. Like, for example, the New Life foods, those are delicious. And so, you know, these foods are tasting better. We have more options. And, you know, more moms and dads are coming out with these yummy recipes. So, again, you know, don't be afraid to put something new on that plate. And uh, and that they won't eat it right away. That's okay, too. Just keep, you know, keep trying. A no means no for five minutes is a lot of times what we think of. And absolutely, as Judy was alluding to earlier, there needs to be a paradigm shift, a shift in thinking of pediatricians and the parents who may influence that autism, the autism diagnostic label is, is just a label that um, signifies an underlying constellation of physiological illnesses. And we can treat those illnesses. Those illnesses are treatable just like diabetes or cancer are treatable. So, Judy, um, what are the shortcuts and secrets that you're recommending for, for parents who are encountering some resistance from their kids and changing the diet? Are the kids resistant because the foods they've been eating are feeding their bugs? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges right off the bat, and um, I'm sure you guys have heard about this, I'm sure, and probably a lot of listeners have too, 
is this dietary opiate piece. And Kristen alluded to kids eating food that they kind of have to have. They're addicted to them. And there is some literature under this, um, what happens to proteins when we eat them, what kinds of molecules get absorbed from the gut from those proteins. And for kids with autism, of course, it, it looks like many of them absorb those proteins in a form that acts like an opiate, and it's very engaging for an endorphin receptor in the brain. It's very addicting. It, it really alters behavior, pain tolerance, language praxis, many things that we see with autism. It's also constipating. So um, getting a kid off a diet where they have a steady supply of opiate is really a challenge. And um, they do have to go through kind of a withdrawal. This is why they don't want other foods. This is why they refuse other foods and why they have tantrums with other foods, why they might only calm down if you give them their favorite foods. So a lot of parents are terrified to pull these things out. They, they don't know what else to feed the child. That part's actually easy. That's my job is instructing them on what else we're going to have to eat. But that actual transition is a chemical transition the child has to make. There are a few tricks that speed it up in my experience. And um, the two big helpful tricks, number one, definitely balance the bowel microflora either first or very aggressively at the same time if you can. Um, that will change how certain things get absorbed. It'll help your child's food cravings drop a little bit for various um, reasons. Real quick, and then, um, yeah, when go ahead, Kristen. Oh, when, when you're saying that, just so some parents might not know what microflora is, um, right. you're talking about probiotics. I know, um, I'm assuming that's what you're talking about, and so they can right. understand. I know for us, somebody had said it was like pulling the weeds and not replanting the seeds. Exactly. Yeah, so true. And that, that seems to help speed up the the process because the child will start absorbing the new foods better and these will help replenish the brain's neurotransmitter chemistry in a more normal way so they're not left so bereft of an opiate chemistry with nothing else to replace it. The other piece that I use in practice a lot is I encourage, and I wrote about this in, in the book that the special needs kids eat right, withdraw the lesser opiate first. So usually I see food intakes that a child will tend to wait their food intake toward either wheat or dairy. They tend to have their own favorite, whether they eat tons of yogurt, milk, cheese, and ice cream, or whether they eat tons of bread, bagels, mac and cheese, whatever, um, bread stuff. So I usually work through this with parents by removing the opiate source protein, the gluten or dairy, that they use the least first. So um, for a child who loves dairy, and kind of munches on crackers and bread, those are pretty easy to replace. And we kind of slip that in first. <laughs> and we shore up the child with lots of good minerals. We do that exactly what Kristen was just saying about the weeds. We pull the weeds. And then we bring in new foods to replace the dairy. And um, it's, it's not easy, but it can go much easier than trying to do it all at once which I think just chemically can be a lot harder on a child. Um, the other piece of the story is what is the parent capable of taking on? Everybody's different. Some parents are ready to go full bore. They don't want to hold back, and they have the metal to do that. They want to just pull their kid through. Um, some kids need to take it a little more slowly with their parents. It's a family transition, so it's, it's, I really work with families in whatever way they can best attack the whole thing. 
Judy, you alluded to the behavior arena. You pretty much described, you know, kids who were, you know, spaced out on on drugs pretty much with the whole opiate um, area. So let's get into the behavior arena. How can a, f a family avoid psychotropic medications for a child who has rage, aggression, or hyperactivity? Well, psychotropic meds certainly have a place, but they can't treat nutrition problems. And absorbing protein excessively in a form that behaves like an opiate is a nutrition problem, and you can treat that with a special diet. So I love helping parents consider a nutrition measure before a psychotropic med is used because once you use the medication, I mean, they can be used together, and I do have kids who, who do that in my caseload, um, but once you introduce a psych med, you're going to really muddy the waters. It gets a little harder to tease out the nutrition pieces of this puzzle. Doesn't it also them. hurt the microflora because now right. you're, you're building more yeast and different things like that? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it just makes sense kind of by process of elimination to treat the nutrition piece first because your child will shift quite a bit. Um, a lot of parents feel, again, really frightened to not use those drugs. They've been kind of told this is the only thing you, you can do or they've been told your child has to leave school unless they're medicated, which is not legal to actually tell a family that in public schools in the U.S., but it does happen and parents don't know. So they get really frightened about not using those tools. And, um, it, you know, it, it, again, it just makes sense to remove nutrition problems first. It may change the picture entirely. Your child might not need any medication at all. Your child may need a much lower dose of a medication or your child may need a different medication. I mean, it's, it's all workable. Do, do we have precedent from adult conditions where adults experience brain fog? I know a lot of adults have re reacted, even having like LSD-type reactions from aspartame. Or again, getting back to the let's go out, all go out for a shot of vodka um, analogy, do adults have reactions to food that cause things like brain fog or behavioral changes? And do adults have um, have conditions maybe like schizophrenia that are from nutritional dif uh, deficiencies? Um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of precedent in the literature about certain psychiatric conditions and, and certain nutrients being really imbalanced, and there's a whole integrative psychiatry field that is maybe not as well known, but I think incredibly hopeful and effective and interesting. And no, you don't have to only use medications to work with these. And yeah, I do think adults also can react with all the same stuff. Um, and Kristen, I'm sure you guys hear from adults about this stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, it, and you know, one thing I wanted to kind of take a couple steps back because I wanted to to talk about this. One thing as we're talking about, you know, the medications and how they're feeling and the different foods and what they're causing. One thing, too, what is your um, thought when you're talking, telling somebody to change their diet and, um, you know, you're adding probiotics? Um, I know for us, we, um, we really add a lot of enzymes. And I know in the beginning, when I first did it with Jackson, um, you know, oh, gosh, almost six years ago, 
I didn't know a lot. I was really learning, and I think a lot of parents are right there in the first steps, or, or they think they're knowing what they're doing. And I know I didn't know about probiotics until later on. I didn't know about enzymes. Um, what are your thoughts on that, Judy, like when you're first implementing a diet? Um, do you recommend, you know, you had said probiotics. Do you also recommend the enzyme portion of that? Yeah, a lot of parents will come and ask about, some of them have heard, heard of these things and some of them haven't. So, yeah, I, my sequence in practice, the gut is, is numero uno, <laughs> really prioritized correcting that microflora environment with probiotics or whatever, you know, getting the right tools in there. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people are, are doing the, um, oh, shoot, <laughs> just totally left me, the protocol to remove all kinds of stuff from the gut. You guys know what is the word I'm looking for. Um, it's clearing all the old, dead, and, and kind of encased viral, bacterial, and fungal material in the gut. And you can use enzymes for that. There's a protocol, and then you can use um, certain probiotics for that. So that's really key. And the challenge always is because I work with all kinds of families and all kinds of kids, and I don't just do um, biomed. You know, I'll, I'll have a child, a child come to me from Denver Children's who's never heard of biofilm protocol. That's what I'm yeah, that, I thought that's it. You're, you're thinking of Dr. Usman's protocol? Yeah, exactly. And they may never have heard of any of this stuff, and they're terrified, and they're new to all this, and they have a child who's impacted, and they don't with autism. They don't. So you know, it's really meeting parents where they can begin. And if I can get them on board and introduce some of these tools right away, I'm all over that. Some of them need a little more time and information and education before they're ready. But those are absolute priorities. And some parents will come in, I wonder what you think about this, Kristen. They'll say, well, can't I just give my kid enzymes and not yeah. use a special diet? What that drives me insane. <laughs> Let's get the answer to that when we come back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, and we'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. Mark your calendar and set an alarm so you do not miss the highly acclaimed talk show, Holistic Living with Tina Marie and Todd Allen. Tune in every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, noon Central, and 10 a.m. Pacific for inspirational, oftentimes edgy discussions on all that life brings our way with celebrity guests, world-famous authors, and everyday people dedicated to sharing positive, uplifting messages. Tina Marie and Todd Allen bring you the very best in talk radio discussions, guaranteed to make you smile. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Terry. We're back with my co-host, Kristen Sylvie-Gonzalez, with our guest, Judy Converse. And just to remind everyone, Kristen has this great video called Let's Go Shopping, and she'll take you through the grocery store and give you some great hints and tips, and that's from the Autism Hope Alliance. Is that correct, Kristen? Where can you get that from? Um, you can actually go to um, Enzymatica. Go to Enzymatica.com, and you can, um, you can call them directly, and uh, you can order it there. And okay, it's actually going to be in the, um, the stores as well. Judy was asking you before the break about how it drives you crazy if people say you can just use enzymes and you don't have to bother with diet. Oh, my gosh. And it's so funny because, you know, I work for an enzyme company, and I swear, I wish that was the case. I wish I could just give my son glutenese, and then that would be it. And, like, that, you know, I would never have to worry about these diets, and life would go on beautifully. However, that is not the case. Um, we really see that taking diet and enzymes together, regardless if that is, you know, a gluten-free, casein-free diet, a specific carbohydrate diet, or body ecology or all in between, we really see that taking that diet, whatever works for that child, and adding a digestive enzyme um, to that uh, really is where we see kind of the magic happen because we need those foods to be broken down and be absorbed into the body. And one thing we say a lot in Enzymatica is that, you know, vitamins and nutrients cannot be absorbed into the body without enzymes. And, you know, and when people are talking about enzymes, I think that they're not really, um, they don't really know a lot. I know I didn't before, you know, I worked for them. And, you know, doctors will just say, oh, here, take a digestive enzyme and, you know, uh, that's, that's, all, that's all fine and dandy. But yet, we really need to look at what that enzyme is doing. And so as Judy has so beautifully said, it's so important to get those vitamins and nutrients into the body, and it's important to get those good foods. And so that's when we really look at, you know, how do we have kind of like a one-two punch or like we call it the dynamic duo <laughs> of, you know, bringing those two together. So that's my take on it. I, I tell people all the time. No, I cannot say just take a digestive enzyme and all will be good in the world. <laughs> yeah, it's all about eating and excreting. And I know, you know, you're eating, you're getting the nutrition in, eating right, excreting and getting the gunk out. And I know when I do that, you know, and I no longer get those horrendous stomach aches or, you know, go for a week and without getting the gunk out, no longer feel like sticking a fork in my head. <laughs> so I can just imagine how the kids feel. And, Kristen, you wanted to emphasize the importance of a team approach. 
Yes. Um, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, what are some of the challenges when you're trying to implement. And, I, you know, I loved how Judy was saying that, you know, maybe you look at the, the culprit or the favorite thing, whether it be gluten or casein, and attack that first. Another thing um, is I know I can tell everybody what I did wrong. <laughs> I'm so good at telling you all the things that I messed up on along my journey already. And um, one thing, I did go gung-ho. Um, and not to say that was wrong, but if I had to go back, I definitely would have added uh, probiotics right away. I would have added enzymes. And I would have also um, brought a team approach in, meaning, you know, sometimes, you know, there's people out there, whether it be your neighbors, grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, the person you meet down the road at the grocery store, whoever it is that wants to volunteer during that detox kind of period. And, you know, they're all different for every child. I know my son went through 10 days of it. But to where they can come in and maybe watch the child, um, you know, if the child's crying or whatever, for maybe a half an hour, an hour, two hours. And one thing I really recommend to a mom is invest in an iPod and to really put that iPod on and go to sleep. Because as you know, Terry, there's times where our kids are up 23 hours out of the 24 hours, and it's so crucial for us as parents to get some um, recuperation and rest because otherwise we just can't function and help our child. So really, if you have anyone who's willing to volunteer during the time when you're transitioning, take that help and don't be afraid to ask for that help. All right. Well, you know, Kristen, you were bringing up uh, if your child's up for 23 hours, and I was going to talk about this later in the show, but let's talk about seizures because for parents whose children have seizures or who have sleep disorders or who have their days and nights flipped, those parents may be afraid to go to sleep. So, Judy, how do you address seizures? How do you try to address seizures nutritionally? Do ketogenic diets for seizures work, or what other nutritional tr tools might uh, be worthwhile to try? Yeah, I have, this is a really interesting uh, area of practice, and I think it's really emerging and new. And like you mentioned, ketogenic diet, that's been around for many, many years, and it works, I think, about a third to half the time. It's a very demanding diet. It's not an optimal diet for growth for children. It, it triggers a lot of problems um, in growth and in bone density and all kinds of things. But I do have some kids who succeed with a ketogenic diet. It's not my first choice because it doesn't support growth very well and uh, there's other issues with it. It can be kind of like a modified specific carbohydrate diet. Um, a ketogenic diet really restricts your total carbohydrate grams every day, not just the type of carbs you eat, but the, the amount. Uh, and I wouldn't know, I don't think this has been established exactly uh, whether this is part of why it works, but I would wonder that part of why it works is that it changes bowel flora. It changes what's growing in your gut for microbes. Um, we, there is nice data on how what microbes excrete can trigger seizures, uh -huh. the little acids and things that they excrete. I have seen children who get good antifungal therapy stop having seizures. Um, kids on ketogenic diets stop having seizures. Um, so that whole piece of how bowel flora relates to whether you're susceptible to seizures is, is enormous, and I, I think it's an incredibly hopeful area. So when a child is having seizures, that's one of the first things I'm going to look at. I know we keep talking about probiotics and microflora, but I, don't, I think it has been so underappreciated how critical what's going on in your intestine is for so many aspects of health and certainly development for these kids. So 
That's number one. I want to make sure that is not part of the problem. I've also seen kids stop seizing once they get on gluten-free, casein-free diets. And this will usually look like um, kids who have um, absence-type seizures. They may look kind of vacant, and it's a little bit unclear what's on their um, EEG, but just to be safe, they've been medicated. And then all of a sudden they're gluten casing free and it looks like what had been an opiate effect is gone and there is no more seizure-like activity. There's also a lot of data linking gluten sensitivity to seizure activity and that's an immune response to gluten triggering some autoimmune action on the brain. So those are my top tier pieces. I certainly want to mineralize kids really adequately. There's vitamins that seem to have a role here. And then I move on to certain amino acids to help balance um, seizure control and, and favor uh, a calming neurotransmitter called GABA over away from glutamate. In fact, I would not, I'm really uncomfortable with kids on the spectrum using a lot of glutamine as a supplement. Although it's popular in the functional medicine community for gut tissue healing, if a child's had any history of possible seizure activity, I, I, I'm very cautious with that because glutamine is a precursor to glutamate in the brain, which we have seen some data on kids with autism stacking way too much glutamate in the brain and not shifting it to GABA, which is calming. And um, when you have too much glutamate, then you may have more seizure activity. So there's a lot of options, but I'm, I can't wait to hear uh, what Kristen has to say about lactose. Yeah, um, you know, um, I'm, I don't know um, any, well, you guys know where I've been. I've been in Florida, now I'm in New Mexico, and I've been so lucky to be able, I've been doing all these different um, brainstorming sessions with, you know, parents and professionals. And, um, you know, one of the things I'm, you know, I'm fortunate that my son does not have seizures, and um, yet I'm around so many wonderful moms, and I'm listening to what their stories are and listening to what's working and what's not. And, um, you know, some of the moms that we were talking with in Florida were telling us that, you know, that lactose really is a trigger for a seizure. And I had not heard that. And she was saying, um, one of the moms I'm thinking about was saying that homopathics she had to be so careful with because a lot of the homopathics have lactose in it. And that instantly when she gave you know, her daughter lactose, it would, it would trigger a seizure. And then another person we were talking about, um, she from the epilepsy, epilepsy Center in Holland, was telling me that the fats that were so important for the brain, and so sometimes when we go on these diets like SCD, um, in the beginning we take away a lot of that fat, that those fats were actually really, really important as well. And so, you know, I'm, I'm listening, I'm trying to figure out, like, how to help and, you know, where to direct people. And it was really fascinating to me that, you know, we know foods trigger certain things, but that just something as simple as lactose could really trigger that um, in, a, in a child or a person with a seizure, and that lack of fats could also trigger that. Have you had any experience with the, with the fats, Judy? With fats triggering seizures? Yeah, with, that, with, that, with um, taking away the fats. And, uh, oh, uh, I, I see. Um, hmm. That's a really interesting question. I certainly, I have never made that connection that if you remove certain fats, it may trigger seizures. But certainly, I'm often in the position of telling parents to feed their children more fats and oils. They tend to over-restrict them, I think, after so many years of, everybody hearing how horrible fat is in a diet, a lot of children end up over-restricted, and that is bad for brain development for sure. 
Um, and there's so I, many good fats, like your coconut oils and your exactly. olive oils and your avocados. And there's, there's a lot of good fats that people forget about. Would you agree? Right. Oh, absolutely. I, those are, it's, so, it's fun to tell people about those fats. They, for, they have forgotten about them. You're absolutely right. And to, to talk about reintroducing them, um, they're, they're happy, delighted to have some of these options that they didn't think of. And, to, and they've been thinking, oh, I'm not supposed to give my child fats. Um, but yeah, there's wonderful healthy fats out there that absolutely we're using, we should be using for kids for brain development. What their specific role is in seizures, I'm not sure, but as we're chatting, um, I just pulled up a study from 1951 showing effects of lactose on seizure behavior in rats. Uh, can we talk about this when we come right back from break? Sure. And we will be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel when Judy tells us about this study. Thanks to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Judy Converse and Kristen Selby Gonzalez. And before the break, Judy, you were going to tell us about a study from 1951. Yeah, I was just really poking around on this while we were chatting, and I was, I'm so surprised to see a study from so long ago saying that the addition of lactose appears to increase irritability of the seizure-prone test animals. 
um, amazing. I mean, this is stuff, with, sometimes you look back in the literature and we've seen and stuff that's been there for 50 years, and why aren't we using it? You know, it looks like there's just so many possibilities here. And the parents are discovering it and sharing it with one another, so it's important for, you know, I, I think that's awesome you found a study because then that's going to help the mainstream like if you can pull that study up and say, see, look, at they've already discovered that over 50 years ago. Right. It's, it's definitely a thread that we can follow, you know. We can, and then if you pull that up, you, it will give you a whole list of what came next in the research. And it's so interesting. Clearly, there is a gut-brain connection. Mm -hmm. Hey, we don't need ancient wisdom. We have better living through chemistry. <laughs> uh, I also wanted to ask you, Judy, to touch upon the modified Atkins diet and when we're and then when we're talking about gut flora and how that may affect seizures, what do the little nasties like Clostridia do? Uh, actually, that's a big nasty. And then how do cytokines, which um, are I'll just say an immune response, part of your immune system, how did those translate into uh, adverse activity in the brain? Okay, well, a lot of this stuff is, I'm really getting up to speed on it more and more just this year, but from what I, and I can't wait to hear what Kristen has to tell us about this too, but Clostridia, I think the uh, nasty part of the Clostridia story, there's lots of strains of it, but especially Clostridia difficile makes something called propionic acid. It's one of its own um, byproducts, and this um, can be plentiful in the gut and apparently can translate into brain via the vagus nerve. And the data, I think we mentioned Derek last time we all were chatting together, he's the guy who apparently has done some nice study on this to show that the more exposure to that propionic acid the brain gets, the more sensitized it gets, and there, it can have uh, increased seizure activity with, with even not more exposure. It's just the sensitivity goes up, up, up. So controlling clostridia is key. And one of my questions, Kristen, is are we talking just about Clostridia difficile or all kinds of species of Clostridia? Gosh, I, I think that, I think when you're looking at that in its whole, I think that you have to just look at it, you have to look at all different types and see. And I don't think that um, treating one versus, you know, treating looking at one treatment, you have to look at all treatments. I don't know if you agree on that. Um, yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. And I really, really lo love when you're talking about the microflora and the probiotics because really, so, and there's all different strains of that too, and I think that that's important for people to understand that there's not just one probiotic, there's all different types, and some people can handle certain ones and some people can have other strains. Um, would you agree on that? Absolutely, and that's fascinating too. Yes, absolutely. It seems to be pretty unique. Um, we seem to have a lot of individual variation around what probiotic product will work best for that child. Um, I, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we have about five minutes and about, you know, 4,050 questions. No, about five more questions. We may save some for the first Tuesday of next month. Uh, but, Judy, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll let you choose. Okay, so um, what, what would you like to talk about? How you know if your child's special diet is nutritionally adequate? What do you do if a child has to be gluten, casein, soy, egg, and nut-free? Or the role of supplements and overdosing or underdosing? Oh, wow. Let's, let's try the first two. How does that sound? Okay. Um, so basically you can tell your child's diet is adequate if they're growing as expected. And that means you need to have a little bit closer look than 
just the weight and height chart for your child. Um, there's, there's a bunch of growth parameters that I look at every time kids come in here. I take it into more depth than you, you would go into a pediatrician. And I can see if your child's expected growth pattern, the one that they're genetically inclined to express, whether or not it's being expressed. And if it isn't, then there's a deficit. And if there's a deficit, it's going to affect your child for learning, focus, attention, behavior, sleep, all kinds of things. And before you go off on a goose chase to, gee, what supplement did I not do right, <laughs> which is usually where parents first look when there's a, a behavior change or an issue where, gee, my child's not doing as well as I thought that he or, should, he or she should be, the first thing I will look at is how is their growth pattern doing, and I really want to see if that's not the problem because First of all, you just have to make sure your child is getting enough food, if they're absorbing it normally, and then you can move on to the supplements and start troubleshooting. So that's, that's kind of an easy, quick answer on that one. And real quickly, Judy, when you're talking about looking at their growth and their height and their weight, you also, I mean, we talked about this last month, but the poop, too, I think that's so important because so many parents come up and say, my kid's growing, they're gaining weight, but, like, they're still not pooping, they're still not, right. you know, maybe, and I think that is also an important thing. We talked about that last month, but how are their bowel movements? Are they solid? Are they regular? Are they every day? You know, their particles of food in their poop, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's so important, too. Yeah, absolutely. If Again, you have to look at all these pieces around bowel function and stuff like that. Um, if a child's diet, if you're wondering, am I giving my child enough to eat, you'll know by looking at um, how their growth pattern is being expressed and if they're not absorbing protein adequately or not eating enough protein, that usually will injure progress for stature or height. If they're not getting enough total calories, that will usually injure progress for weight. Um, or body mass index, or, you know, there's a whole bunch of ways to suss this out, and you don't need lab data to do that. All right. And one more, so one more question, and then we're asking listeners to join us again, well, every week, but especially uh, the first Tuesday of next month when we'll be back talking about topics like these and uh, maybe have one or two extra special guests with us, I, I mean additional special guest with us. Our guests this week are extra special. Um, but my dear friend Betsy Hicks, I asked her, okay, so if you combine all the diets, gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free, specific carbohydrate diet, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, what's left to eat? Betsy said kale. And I said, no, low-oxalate diet won't let you eat kale. What's left? Water. I'm like, no, some of that water has fluoride. So, Judy, <laughs> what do you feed a child who must be on a gluten, casein, soy, egg, and nut-free diet? Yeah, um, there's, I usually go into um, the fruits and vegetables that are not oxalate high, and it kind of becomes a modified SCD for those kids. They, if they can use any of the gluten-free grains, that's great. And I also follow kind of a golden rule. I don't put more than four usually absolute restrictions on a child at once. If, it, if, you're, if you're starting to get into four, five, six foods that you're avoiding, there's a couple you're going to have to rotate and allow and because it becomes really hard for the child to eat enough to grow. Um, and it, it's not okay to not grow because that's going to injure pieces in the brain as well. So some people have said to me, well, I don't care if my child's short. You do care because it's going to express other problems for your child if they're not growing. 
So I, I try to rotate certain foods, and I'm always working children toward the least restrictive diet they can have because that's a sign that their gut is healing. If they can absorb and tolerate more food, then they're on the right track. So I'm always working toward introducing as many things as I can, even if it's something I'm only allowed to rotate once a month fine, I'm going to start working it back in. And, and Lisa Lundy has a great book, The Super Allergy Girl Cookbook, that really emphasizes the importance of rotation diets. Her daughter was in, in pretty poor shape, um, and um, she was a veritable, a, a virtual, excuse me, bubble girl. Um, I'm not using that term disrespectfully. I'm just trying to paint a picture for list, listeners. And Lisa helped her daughter, and part of what she emphasizes in her book uh, is the importance of rotation diet. Mm-hmm. So... Um, I thank you, ladies, for joining us again this week. Any closing comments? Thank you. Just thank you both. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, it was great. And I think I think it's just important for everybody to, you know, remember that not one size fits all and that really just never give up and just keep trying what you think might uh, work for your child. Yeah, it's, it's definitely workable. I mean, Judy, these kids make it through, right, with anything that you have to go through with this? These, these oh, kids yeah. end up thriving. Oh, yeah. Yes, they do. Absolutely. All right. Well, ladies, we'll be talking to you again in about a a month and just reminding listeners to look for Judy's books, uh, and those are Special Needs Kids Eat Right, Strategies to Help Kids on the Autism Spectrum Focus, Learn, and Thrive, and read the preview of her book, Special Needs Kids Go Farm Free, Nutrition-Focused Tools to Help Minimize Meds and Maximize Health and Well-Being. You can see a preview of that on Amazon, and check out Kristen's DVD, Let's Go Shopping. My guest next week is Hillary Johnson, an esteemed journalist and author of the book, Osler's Web. She's written about environmental and medical topics for the last 15 years of her 30-year reporting career, including XMRV and chronic fatigue syndrome. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, providers of digestive enzymes that complement your therapeutic diet. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit AutismOne.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.